ladies and gentlemen, the Kids in the Room podcast. The Kids in the Room podcast. That's right. That's right. Brought to you by Move Faces. All right, all right, all right. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Kids in the Room podcast. Today, we've got my friend Ron Shigata on the podcast today, who is an amazing person. Ron, tell us who you are. Tell us what's special about you. Yeah. Thanks, Tavares. Well, you know, we uh, we, we got talking online about um, I'm a serial entrepreneur. I've done I've done about 100 venture capital investments, and uh, I also uh, advise startups and I just uh, my my latest work has been open a studio helping helping startups get started and uh, the portfolio just crossed the billion dollar mark last December and uh, this makes me want to come out and talk about it. Wow, a billion dollars! That's pretty awesome. A billion. Well, it's not all my money. It's just how much all the companies are worth put together. Uh, you're like Daddy Warbucks. You're like you know the guy who swims in money, right? I like the you know what I like to do is I like to make people who have this something really fantastic. I I want to help them be successful, to really feel the potential in their ideas. And so if someone's got a fabulous idea, I really want to, I want to talk to them and I want to help them make it real. That's amazing. What does a fabulous idea entail to you? What does that mean to you? Yeah, well, you know, I've had this crazy career and, uh, well, recently, like the last seven years of my life has just been this incredible, like roller coaster, uh, I was a regular PhD scientist before, and I had a good job. Uh, it was not something I could tell people about. It might put them to sleep. I would sit at a computer screen all day and and process genomes and look at look at protein sequences and all this stuff. Uh, but uh, uh, I wanted to really get my hands in it. And so living in the Bay Area, uh, I ended up being a venture capital investor after some work. And uh, me and, and a couple other guys, we started... Uh, this uh, this found this uh, shop downtown called Indie Bio. We invested in synthetic biology biotech companies, and we helped create basically the startup biotech economy now. And so we were. I, I got. I was lucky enough. I got to pioneer on that uh, for four years. Made eighty investments, and that portfolio is worth about five billion dollars now, almost all told. So I'm, I'm kind of seeing it again now with my own shop, and. Uh, those ide- the ideas that we were able to get a hold of, they were first in class, first in the world. You know, like the world's first lab-grown meat company we invested in is called uh, uh, now it's called Upside Foods. Uh, it was so, such a new idea; nobody could actually believe it might work. And now there's almost 200 lab-grown meat companies starting up all over the world, doing all kinds of work. And so it's just been crazy to see all these sort of like realities unfolding around these ideas that are completely new. So yeah, when I'm talking uh, something special, I'm talking about an idea that's just just a complete just makes you stop in your tracks and think, you know, you know, I, I have to rethink about the world. I, ca- I can't see things the same anymore, you know. And those ideas come across once in a while, but they they often die in the vine, you know, and so they 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 really deserve to be heard. That's my that's what I do. Wow, that's pretty impressive. That's it's very impressive. So I want to ask you and dig in a little bit more. Um, you're, you're talking about, you know, hey, I, I've invested into these these companies that are, you know, pushing out synthetic meat. Like what, what, what drove you to, to uh, invest in companies that are working on this type of synthetic type of meat? Like, do you not are you not a meat eater? Like, what, what was it? I'm actually a biologist right. and I've been a bioscientist for you know, my entire adult life. 
And, uh, but it's always been sitting behind the glass wall in the university for as long as I've been, been, been around and uh, a couple decades, just watching that happen and people making all this fantastic discoveries and it coming to doesn't change people's lives. And so it's come, coming to the time where biotechnology now will come and help us with our sustainability problems, with our bio recyclable, recyclable renewability problems, with all the things that we use and we buy, we eat and we wear and, uh, and drive or whatever else that we do. It's a, we need a new way of living and technology is going to change that to make everything fall back into balance because we can design it that way. It's a huge idea really. And, uh, yeah, that, so exciting. That, yeah. That's pretty awesome. What's your favorite type of like synthetic type of meat so far? Right, that's well, out right now. So this is crazy. So actually, um, you know, you know, McKinsey, McKinsey, the uh, the accounting research firms, like global business leader, or whatever, they put out this report. Tavares is a four hundred page report. They went over all these different cases, and they discovered hundreds of cases where biotechnology exists today could change. And, and really provide impact to manufacturing, to the way we use things. And so some of them are medical. Look, we're used to hearing about this in terms of drugs and surgeries and all kinds of medical treatments. But, you know, genome sequence is now starting to impact our health and well-being, our beauty, um, the clothes we wear, the food we eat, and the beverages we drink. They're all sort of being reexamined to how can we sort of make something healthier but also cheaper more accessible to more people, you know? So uh, what's going to happen over the next 50, 60 years is these wave after wave of new generations of this tech helping to sort of create sustainability and quality for, uh, for everything that we use right now it's with food, but there's other waves coming right now. What kind of waves? So uh, just to maybe just to like catch everybody up on food, food was the first thing we invest in that really blew people's mind. The investors came it, back when I started eight years ago, it was really, really difficult to find a venture capitalist who would fund any given thing. You, you, you bring a startup and we gave them a little money. We bring them into our lab and they get to work for a while. They put together some prototypes and MVPs and they'd go out and people would look at them and just say, this is, sounds really interesting. I'm not going to invest. We would have to go home and pray that they would actually fund these things. And now, the situation is really different and people are embracing these new ideas. So the first thing that really hit it off was, was meat and animal products. So we funded a company called, uh, it's called every now it used to be called Clara foods. They made chick uh, egg whites without chickens. They were able to just sort of create the proteins. Egg whites are mostly protein, a little bit of salt and water. They will just produce the proteins outside the chickens, put them together. And you've got a perfect egg white, uh, they just, uh, they're a billion dollar company now, approximately. Uh, they just closed a huge round um, and they're going to start providing um, basically food that's exactly the same as if it had eggs, but there's no animal producing it. And that really changes sustainability and its cost and its quality. Huge difference, right? <clears throat> so, you know, meat, uh, yeah, so meat and eggs and uh, dairy, milk, ice cream, all these things are sort of coming out as first wave. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, I think it matters about sustainability to scale. Like when you're, when you're thinking about these products that we consume daily mm -hmm. and, you know, but, but also I think too, 
you know, there, there's a bigger um, issue, and it is basically how a human consumes those products, like how it tastes, right? Absolutely. Like if it doesn't taste authentic, then it doesn't really matter to most of us to scale how healthy it is. And so for me, I've always looked for what tastes almost, you know, where there's just like parity to real meat. Right? That's the most amazing thing about this this latest generation of companies is that they've hit upon this killer app, right? The killer the, the killer idea is that, look, we can get people to eat more sustainable food that's not made from animals. Um, the, the, the use of animals in agriculture is responsible for about, some people say 25 to 30% of all the greenhouse gas emissions. And so that's just, you know, meat, we can, we can actually not eat it. But the, the, but the brilliant idea is to give people food that is exactly the same, where they don't have to make a choice between giving up something that they've always eaten and, uh, and not. You know, we just have these other products. They don't have the animal impact, but they taste the same. They are the same. When you make meat cells uh, uh, outside the animal and you put them together, they are, they're, pretty, they're pretty good steak. I've had them. Wow. Yeah. So that's what's coming. It's going to come in the next few years. In, in, in Emberville, California here, there is a 50,000 square foot plant. They're making the first lab-grown uh, meat there that's going to be in restaurants, they hope, uh, next year in San Francisco. And from there, it, could, it should just keep going and, and, and be available all around the world. Wow. That's pretty rad. Biology is awesome. Biology is like... It's it's best. awesome. It's, it's pretty too bad. Awesome. It's too bad people don't you know people don't get more of it really in school. They don't have to get they don't get the fun part. They only get the they only get the the boring memorize this. It just feels like a task. It's too bad you know. But I think there's going to be more and more uh, more and more fun that people can see and hopefully that'll help people get into it and get interested. What got you into it? What got you into biology? You know, I I started in the chemistry department and I. I just started realizing that, you know, chemi chemicals are boring. I mean, they, you know, they'll react and they'll form reactions. They'll make something new, but they'll make waste and they're a little, a little toxic. And then, but biology, everything you do with biology is just, it's basically like groceries. You know I mean? You can experiment uh, and, and make some DNA or something, but you know, once you're done with it, uh, people just throw, you know, you put the, put this, um, you know, the bacteria are pretty, pretty innocuous. They don't do anything. You just wash them off your hands with soap and water. You're clean. Um, and they are the most complicated, most beautiful uh, things to work with as a scientist. They, it's like an alien freaking spaceship to Mars. Like the average cell, it's designed by a billion years of evolution. <laughs> and no human being knows how it works. It's just a crazy place to play. Yeah, it's it's even so crazy that, you know, when we start talking about biology and we talk about the design, um, it's like, I don't know, it's, it's almost like there's, you know, for those who, you know, don't believe in some type of intelligent design, it's like, who the fuck did this? Like, how did this all, like, how did this spark, you know, like, this complex being, this, this complex, you know, source, like, how did all this just, like, create itself? It's just, like, so beautiful to think, hmm, did everything create itself or is there some type of maker it's it's interesting, you know, when you dig down into it. It is. It's a pretty deep question. Um, and despite the fact some people, a lot of people say they know the answer, I don't think that it's possible to really prove the answer to that question. But uh, one thing you see is, um, one thing you definitely get studying biology is that you understand how deep the rabbit hole goes. 
finally. I mean, like you can sort of say, oh, you know, you know, you can see some news and say that didn't happen by accident. It's a conspiracy or it isn't, you know, uh, and you can debate about that. But it's usually pretty simple, like someone decided to lie or something like that. In biology, when you want to understand how a bacterium swims or um, how how birds fly, what you discover is you can point at one thing and say, I understand how that works. But you just move it. You just move a little to the side and suddenly you don't understand it anymore that like everything I don't think there's any molecule in in the uh, in the cell that biologists truly understand everything about how it works. They're all we're always discovering some new role for everything, and it's just like after by hook or crook over a billion years, all these molecules do so many things, and you just can't tell where life starts and life where where the minerals and chemicals end. You know, it's just this. It's just this amazing orchestra playing inside every cell of your body, every cell and every plant. I just, I just love it. <laughs> and it's so powerful, right? Yeah. I don't know. That's interesting. You, you said something about you don't know where um, it's, it's kind of hard to tell where minerals and um, uh, was it cells or would you say? Well, where do the minerals end and the, the life start? The life start. Okay. Yeah. I mean, people are trying to put together some of these try to put together like DNA and lipids and different parts of the cell together to make a living system that reproduces in a, in a test tube. They're, they're getting, we're getting to the point where we can do that, but uh, just to get to the point where the cell will duplicate itself and just keep the chromosome separate. It's already so complicated. You have to start putting in like shovelfuls of different kinds of molecules in there. It's not, it's not sort of, let's mix these three things together. We got life and like, there's like maybe like 50 or 70 things you start putting these things together. And suddenly what, as soon as you, there's like not, so much stuff, you can't quite understand what everything's doing. Then you start getting action. You know, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, it's amazingly complex. It's very humbling uh, to understand, you know, what our limits are in terms of appreciating how these systems work. Like it's not, it's crazy. Yeah, that is pretty deep. It's pretty complex. It's pretty wild how, complex things are and even just like the human species and you know our survival and then it's like social behaviors and things like that over time mm. but i i guess i probably have some other questions on the point of you know you got into biology you know through uh you know taking some classes in high school per se or well, I, I i went all the way through my phd okay cool but yeah but like what what was the original like interest in this like was there something in your childhood earlier on that i love the i love i love i love things that are not understandable and, uh, you know, I mean, like you get in a position, like you get in a, a business like art and there's a certain number of colors and there's certain kinds of ways media use and art supplies used to make art. There's terms like, just like politics, you know, some, a lot of, a lot of careers are just made out of terms that people made. And so they're kind of social things, which is great. But if you understand people, you can start to sort of understand the world. But like, I just love the open-endedness of biology because like I say, a biology is something nobody understands. We just don't understand how the cells work. We understand a lot, but it's just an ongoing process. And I just love that open-ended thing. It's like exploring another planet. Uh, that's just, that's where I'd like to be. I, I want to be on Mars. I don't really want to stay home, you know? And uh, so that's really what brought me into it. And that's what, 
that's what got me to basically keep changing careers. I've changed careers multiple times the last 10 years. And I like it much better than just like going to the PhD program and getting my job as a scientist and sort of doing the same old thing. I, I could have ended up staying in my last science job. Probably I'd still be in it today if I wanted to be, but, uh, but uh, I just, I love just doing something new all the time. That's what's, that's what I like. Yeah. That's pretty deep. I, I get it. Doing something new all the time. But I guess I also wanted to say is like, as well as like, you're at the place and you, you start understanding like these deep things about biology. Did you start, you know, getting any interest into like cancer? Like what is, what, like, what is cancer? Like what is cancer and you know, what is not cancer when you really like well, break it down? Well, cancer is kind of a mysterious process. Not every living animal gets cancer which is an interesting fact, but most animals do, uh, certainly human beings do. And uh, I guess it's, uh, to me, on a very simple level, it's just like cancer uh, is a place where some of your cells decide they're going to do what they want to do. <laughs> and they don't care what you say. So they, they basically stop following, uh, following the sort of like party line in the body and they start reproducing. And uh, they can they can reproduce so much that they can take over all of your like they can eat all of the food and nutrients and absorb all the resources. They can obstruct the process in your body and cause you to get very sick and even die. Um, some cancers never get that big, uh, but uh, the ones we care about are the, the ones that kill us are the ones that can basically take over your body. And um, and uh, yeah, they they don't listen to anything. So you have to kill them. Wow. That's crazy. And every different kind of cell in your body has a slight, a, a slightly different way of getting cancer. So you can't just cure cancer overall. You got to understand er, almost every separate case appears right now. Wow. So cancer has its own use case per area. That's right. That's right. You know, uh, you know, if you get pancreatic cancer, it's very different from getting skin cancer, uh, from getting uh, stomach cancer. You know, uh, that's a more conventional place for biology to be. Um, we are, I, I guess, what uh, what's really exciting for me is that we got to sort of see biology step outside of healthcare because healthcare is so heavily regulated. It can take, if you start a company or a, or have a new idea about cancer or some healthcare thing, it can take 20 years before that product actually helps a single patient or 10 or 12, you know, and you won't really make money for that 20 years. And, and it's, and so uh, what's really exciting to me is to work with companies that they can get an idea out there and they can be selling product within a couple of years because they're not in healthcare. They're in food or they're in fashion or something like that. Yeah, that's interesting. I think that was like, you know, usually when you hear people who are anti, you know, um, getting like uh, the vaccine and stuff like that, usually their pushback is always about, you know, it hasn't been tested long enough and things like that. These are usually mm -hmm. the typical rebuttals. But from my understanding, there's this technology has already existed for a while. It just wasn't utilized. It's been for, around since the 60s. So, right? you know, 50 years is not enough for you that then maybe we haven't messed with it enough. But, um, you know, in one one way, shape or form, biotechnology is in every aisle of the grocery store. Uh, uh, it, 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 human consumables like toothpaste, laundry detergent, and, uh, and, uh, and food, those are all actually, they're taking advantage of biotechnology as we speak. 
all these new startups are sort of doing it at a different level in a, in a more exhaustive way, but it, it's touched everything that we do. This stuff is so, has been around so long. Yeah, that's interesting. But, you know, it, it's just always funny because, you know, a lot of people say, oh, you know, you know, they'll be anti, I don't want to get this shot because of this and this is, I'm like, have you, do you even understand how antibodies <laughs> even work? Do you even understand what the shot does? And do you understand the technology has yeah. been out for a really long time? So it's not like, it's not like it's just like popped out of nowhere. It They're did. not just like, you know. And you know what? You know, well, the thing about it is, is a lot of the companies are just afraid to tell the consumers about change. But that change is old and it's been there for quite a while. And uh, I think that's a huge failure of the scientists and the technology people to communicate. We have done tremendous amounts of good with this kind of technology. Uh, one of them is like, I don't know if you remember, like you might remember from when you were a little kid, like, but, you know, back in the old days when you bought laundry detergent, it was a box that was maybe the size of a five-gallon um, gas can. It was huge. And you'd get this, you'd get a full cup measure and you'd put like three quarters of a cup of powder into every load of laundry because it was just soap. And you need a lot of soap to keep those clothes clean. Now you take that same load of laundry and you've got this, you've got this little pack, gel packet that's the size of a tablespoon. You throw it in there. And you don't even think about like, oh, that little thing's cleaning all those clothes. How's it doing that? It's all been every molecule in that laundry detergent packet has been researched up the wazoo to make sure it does the most for you. And that's why it's so much uh, so much less junk we're putting in the, in the laundry now. Right. It's about efficiency now. So it, it's, it's always about, been it. But yeah. Yeah, it is. And, and, you know, I mean, a lot of that is actually, you know, little proteins called enzymes that go in there instead of, you know, it used to be if you had a new a new, you know, a new sport coat or something and you drew and you uh, you cut yourself and you bled on it, or you got red wine spill it, that was pretty much it. Like, it was not going to come out. Time to throw it away, or maybe you can hide it or something, or bleach it out, but it's never going to really be the same. Now, there's these enzymes, uh, these proteins in the laundry detergent that go into the go into the laundry, and they go right into the jacket, and they they bleach the red color of the wine out. They break up the proteins that 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 are stained in the blood, and it's perfectly clean. You know, uh, clothes last longer. Uh, they look better the whole time, and they do it with less material. And uh, used to be, uh, laundry detergent was a huge problem with clean water. It would cause all kinds of uh, ecological problems. It would actually cause algae and lakes and things like that, and all the fish were dying in the 70s. And so the, President Nixon actually signed the Clean Water Act. And that that basically made laundry detergents change their formulation. And uh, ever since then, we've had much more eco-stability in, 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 in our household sort of like waste, I mean, because we don't put a bunch of, you know, like fertilizer in the form of detergent back out into the, into the world. So it's been really helpful to us keeping our streams clean and our clothes clean. Wow. Yeah. What do you think? Like, you know, you know, uh, you know, coming from somebody who has a biological background in biology, it's like, how do you like, where do you think the fear this like in this, this like fear that a lot of humans or, or people now have of biology and science oh, and, you know, that's a great question. These, we all fear the unknown, don't we? Yeah. Like a lot of people are afraid that there's some political shenanigans going on in the system. It's really corrupt. Uh, I don't think it is. I think it may be 
poorly coordinated and doesn't understand people uh, and it's screwed up in lots of ways because it's so disorganized, you know, we have these two different opinions, right? Um, but once you start digging into how things work, um, a lot of people find it really kind of, uh, it's just like going into a dark basement, even though it's in your house, it's a little kind of intimidating. I don't like to go down there. You know, I think that's that little bit of discomfort is, is tough for a lot of people. And like, you know, Hey, I just like work my job. I, I come home and why should I have to learn about biotechnology? I took this job so I don't have to learn about <laughs> chemistry and biology. You know what I mean? See, that's most people's lives. So I think that's one thing is that, um, we have to sort of like people, people are encountering this discomfort of going to an unfamiliar place and technology, like even with the internet, we love the phones and the browsers, but everybody's uncomfortable with our privacy and so forth. Uh, you know, technology can change things for the good, but it also, also sort of like puts new rules out there and that's like uncomfortable for everybody. Totally, totally get that, you know? Um, but the other thing, the other thing that has changed is that a lot of biotechnology work was done. People didn't want to tell the consumers about it. The public never heard about it. And it was not really designed to help the consumer directly. And so when someone's changing something and it doesn't help you, and the natural assumption to go for is like, is like, this is not a good thing, right? It's like, uh, it's like, um, Typical example is Roundup Ready soy, right? GMO soy. Everybody's afraid to eat GMO soy. Um, it's been tested safe time after time and time. It doesn't really cause any human health problems. But the main reason GMO soy exists is so that it's got this enzyme in it that you put Roundup on it as a herbicide. They can weed the whole field. All the weeds disappear instantly and the soy plants are untouched, doesn't affect them at all. That's a huge advantage of the farmer. It makes it cheaper to grow the soybeans and get them. And so the cost of raising soy dropped a lot. That doesn't help. But at home, the consumer doesn't buy soybeans. You know what I mean? Like, they don't see that. It's just like, there's something different in here, and it's good. Like, that's not the message people want to hear. So this latest, uh, I think this next generation is going to see technology that is there to really change your life and to make it make it better and then i think people will enjoy technology just the way you might enjoy buying a tesla hey it's electric vehicle it's different but it's lux it's lux you know i'm 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 i, I you know everybody's going to look at me and say hey you got this brand new car it's really it's really great it ha does all these new things that's the kind of thing that's the kind of product people need to get a better relationship with technology Right, you think it should be more sexy per se, right? You know. Yeah, it's got to make me look good. Right. Right. If I if I buy a product and it's sort of like, hey, this really helped the supply global supply chain and delivering the soy to me, like, that's not a conversation anybody wants to have. You're not going to go bragging to your your friends at the office like, hey, I just ate this GMO soy because it's cheaper to produce. Like, but if it tastes different, if it if it if it if it makes like this great experience, right? If People go and eat things all the time and talk about it all the time. Uh, technology should make things that are like Instagram worthy uh, and sort of like bragging points. Then I think we'll all see that technology can really be used uh, in a useful way. And I, I like working with those companies. Wow. It's like uh, Valdun Sassoon, I think that old 
80s commercial was. If you don't look good, we don't look good kind of thing. This <laughs> needs to happen. People, it's the number one rule of having a product, isn't it? I mean, you sign product, Mike. You don't like, like, nobody nobody wants to write about a product that's got a bunch of hidden stuff in it that we can't tell you about. Uh, and it does something cool, but it just may be not such an interesting story to you. Like, that's a very hard sell, right? Um, it just... And the, the the example I t- I actually stood up in front of a bunch of anti GMO activists at a at a panel discussion. I told the story, and I actually won a couple of them over. It's just like it just depends on the context, right? Like, um, you know, um, if you go to the doctor and you discover that you have diabetes, and the doctor says you're going to die, but here's some insulin, you will take. GMO heavily engineered protein that's been designed redesigned by a bunch of biotechnology scientists and you will shoot it straight up into your into your arm <laughs> you know because it works it will save your life right and people really don't argue with that because it's very clear what it's doing for you but it is the most i mean the GMO insulin that we're using the, the main line of defense in the insulin world against uh, diabetes is heavily, te- it's the most advanced biotech pr- almost that we make. Um, and, it, and it's used by millions of people a day, right? And, and nobody ever suffers from it, really. It, they would die without it, right? That's not an argument that people have. But people sort of say like, oh, there's some GMO protein in my food. I feel it's adulterated, I feel hurt me. You know, that's such a different context. Yeah, that's that, that's deep. So basically what you're saying is GMOs aren't that bad for you as they claim to be in some sense or is yeah, that what can saying? I can I I'm going to iterate that an unpleasant topic. So what uh, but I, I hate to break it to you but pretty much every time you have expensive European cheese you're eating what would normally be called a GMO product because um Cheese is, well I I could wax poetic about cheese for quite a while but you know cheese is this I mean, it's this wonderful thing if you're a big fan like me. There's so many different varieties of cheese. Um, how you make cheese is uh, there's two ways to make cheese. You can throw lemon juice or some acid in with milk, and it will you'll get the cheese curds down there. Feta cheese and some of these dry white cheeses are made that way. But uh, the best cheeses are made by using uh, an enzyme, uh, and the enzyme actually is available from the gut of uh, of a farm animal actually we all have this we all have this bacteria in our guts uh goats and pigs and sheep and cattle and humans uh, anybody that drinks milk has a bacterium in our gut that produces this little enzyme and the enzyme chews up makes just one little cut in the milk protein and when it does that it makes curdles that's where the cheese comes from Right, so a curdle is, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen, most people have never seen cheese made. I, it's just a great experience, but you you put this enzyme in there and slowly gets dissolved and you see these big round lumps appear in the milk uh, because the chi- the protein there actually is designed to turn into a solid when it's in your gut. So when your baby, uh, an infant, drinks or eats the milk and the enzymes in its gut get in touch with it, the protein sinks right to the surface of the gut and stays there. So it's super nutritious, right? This all this, like you say, it's like almost this design of milk, how it works. And um, so the, this enzyme is called chymosin. And, and uh, people used to, well, only get it in the place they could get it, which was from the intestines of an animal. 
And so if you want to make cheese, what they used to do is take a length of some animal's intestines, get a razor blade, open the whole thing up, scrape the lining of the intestines, and throw it into the milk. That's how you get chymosin. Just think about that. <laughs> Yum. So I was actually talking about this in the 70s. Uh, even the Europeans, they just like normally that this would be called GMO in Europe because they have the strongest restrictions against GMO in the world is Europe. Um, but they sort of made one exception to the GMO. There's a no, GMO ban in Europe, but there's one exception. And that is it's called uh, it's called vegan rennet. <laughs> which is basically they took the enzyme for chymosin and they put it in a bacterium and they produce, so this is GMO, they put that gene in the bacterium and the bacterium then produce the, the, the chymosin and they just separate it. Then they just have just the pure enzyme and they throw that in the cheese. It behaves the same way, except you don't have to scrape the proto sewage out of, out of, a, out of a lining of an intestine and then treat it and then use it as rennet. And most people prefer that, right? <laughs> no, but I mean, I haven't really heard anybody say like, that's horrible, there's been technology in cheese for 50 years, I'm gonna stop eating European cheese. I haven't seen a single person do that. Uh, but we've been eating it for half a century now. Wow, that 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 is deep. I and mean, it's so good. Yeah, it is. Right. cheese is good, cheese is great. And you know there's no like sewage it. in it, which really helps me, I like that. <laughs> I, I like that you know they, they don't have a no gmo badge but they don't have a no sewage badge they should probably put that up there wow <laughs> so that's called an attractive product that's called an advantage it's like hmm, you don't have to eat any goat poop along with your cheese so <laughs> yeah rod i mean i think i have another question mm. what is herd immunity to you like because oh, you, you, you see oh people my gosh you I'm see people saying all this stuff here. people are like herd immunity and things like that it's like like what does that mean so yeah, I'm, I'm herd immunity is this herd immunity is when there's so many people, there's so many individuals in a population that are immune to something that a few unimmunized individuals are pretty much protected. It's just sort of like, um, it's like, it's like having bodyguards, you know, in your entourage. If you're surrounded by enough bodyguards, the fan, like the paparazzi just can't get through, you know what I mean? Uh, you can still get unlucky, but there are so many immunized people that the chances are that no, they'll never, no, 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 the virus just simply won't get through. That is what we've been trying to achieve with immunization uh, for the past two years, Try, just trying to get enough people immunized so that on the average, you, someone walks into the country with, uh, with COVID, they just simply won't infect anybody because they won't meet anybody who's vulnerable, right? Uh, but herd immunity starts somewhere around the 80%. Like almost everybody's got to be immune to achieve herd immunity. And then the, the last remaining people don't have to be immunized. But it really, it's really kind of like not very civic spirited. So like, I'm just going to wait and be one of those last 20% because in this country, well over 30 to 40% people were waiting to be in that top 20%. Meanwhile, we didn't have herd immunity and a million people died. So I would call that a downside. Uh, you cannot, the herd immunity, the people who remain unimmunized, they kind of pick themselves. Volunteering for that, it's like just a way of slowing down 
the community immunity that we need to make the virus go away. I mean, if we'd all got immunized the first year, we'd, we would have taken the mask off a year ago. You know, that's how I feel about it. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, now we've gotten, some people we've gotten kind of stylish with the mask. So some people are loving it. And, you know, sometimes I like walking out and not having to show my face all the time. Asia, I, I love it. I mean, when I go to Asia, <laughs> I, everybody's wearing masks all the time. I'm I'm going to be, I'm, I'm on masks forever now. I'm I, Whenever I go in public, I'll wear a mask most of the time now. I just... Yeah, it's it's better because there's always another virus coming along. Just get less flu would be great. Yeah, I feel like we're you know this this Bill Gates type of like a of a conversation where it's like, hey, you know, we don't know when the next one's gonna come out, and it's like tomorrow's. I have seen so many things. (laughs) There's so much. uh, There's so much biology out there. I mean, there are lots of reasons that we expect to see these uh, pandemics come pandemics coming over and over and over again they come they're like waves of the sea and the waves are getting stronger and they're getting closer together uh why well uh, i think the number one reason I, I i'm not really an epidemiologist but just off the top of my head i would say the number one reason is air travel if somebody gets sick in shanghai that same day someone in europe could have that virus the same day and there are so many flights and so many people traveling. It is impossible to geographically isolate a disease. By the time you have enough people exhibiting a disease like COVID uh, and the health authorities see it, it's probably too late because air travel is so, global travel is so frequent, so many people engage in it. So that's one thing. Another thing is that people are going, every, there are so many people, we're going everywhere. I mean, you have to, I mean, I'm going to stick to the party line. I truly believe COVID came from bats, probably. Probably someone had to go deep into some nasty cave somewhere in China, pick some bats, like, mm, tasty, you know, and they bring them to the market and the bats are hanging out there, not where they should be. And they're just like coughing their little bat cough, <coughs> you know, and the, the virus is all over the, all over the shop. You know, once the once the virus gets out of the bats, little lungs could go to anything and then comes to us. Uh, People are literally scouring every stupid cave on Earth, looking basically looking to dig up every every virus that could cause a pandemic. And we're finding them more often. Those are the two most the, the two biggest things like we are just everywhere now. There's just used to be like oh disease in africa that'll take years to get here it's all well contained like that's you know daily flights yeah from nigeria to europe i mean not gonna happen yeah i mean you know we're we're, you know we're traveling more globalization has kicked in so it's like yeah how do you stay in one area um yeah Yeah, people don't want to give up air travel but no we don't there's a cost to be paid that's that's what it is see but this is where biology is going to help out in the future well we can if we can use it, <laughs> we so can do it. I'm, I'm, we want to make biology more friendly. Right. You know? I just think it's more, po- I think more positively that eventually we'll figure out how to get rid of most of these uh, types of viruses and stuff like that. So I, well, I, I'd like to see a future where that uh, exists. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what the statistics say. Uh, uh, it just depends on how many viruses out there there are to be had. But I think. Is it because of the mutations is what you're saying? The reason why? Well, I mean, all the, all the serious diseases of viruses come because the virus is sitting in some other animal and it just, it, it just, when it, when it lands in a human body, 
it's not well controlled. It's really designed, it's sort of adapted to work in the animal it came from. And so it gets to humans and it can run crazy and kill you. It's just not, that's not what viruses do. Viruses like to reproduce. They don't like to kill their hosts. But, you know, if it's in a new environment, the virus may not behave well and people get sick and die. Um, There's a lot of viruses out there. And so I don't think that we're going to run out of diseases anytime soon, unfortunately. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Well, that being said, uh, you didn't answer my other question. What is your favorite What's your favorite meat? What is your favorite, you know, uh, your, your favorite type of meat that is synthetic? Oh, well, you know. That you like. My favorite kind of meat is my favorite kind of synthetic meat because the best synthetic meats, uh, I but, would just call them lab-grown meats or. But do you have whatever. a brand preference? I don't. That you takes know, because the best? I haven't because, you know what, the brands have not actually produced product yet. There's only one, uh, I believe there's only one company that has sold uh, the lab grown meat to the public and they do that at a loss because it's so expensive to make right now. Uh, and so people, some people have eaten that. It's a little chicken nugget, but I, you know, I think what's going to be popular is red meat. You know, you know, you get a good steak, uh, and it's made out of beef and, uh, it's produced without all the environmental overhead. I think that's going to be a very popular product because people love beef or lamb, you know, and I, I think that's my favorite meat too. But why is it bad for you in, in, you know, in one scenario versus another scenario where we synthetically process it? Well, so the, the, this is the basic deal is that it's not really the kind of animal. It's just how long the animal lives. So if you got a pound of steak or a pound of beef, that, the animal that made that, that, that steak or beef, it lived two or to three years. Every day it ate and it drank. And so they say that a pound of beef, it takes about 1,500 liters of water, I think, maybe 1,500 gallons. I think it's 1,500 gallons of water to make that one steak because the, the cow, the, the, the steer or cow had to drink every day. And so it's really using that just to live and very little of it's going to make the meat, but it takes that long. The chicken lives about three months or so. And so... It's not eating and drinking nearly as much, but every day these animals are alive. They're pooping and they're burping and they're they're producing a lot of methane. And methane is like 80 times more powerful greenhouse gas than CO2. So because the animal, because what you got is every time you pick up a steak, you're actually talking about environmental penalty that goes for two years. That's why beef is so environmentally expensive. But lab-grown meat um, or cultured meat, as they say it now, <clears throat> is... It can be formed in about three weeks. So the environmental cost is basically proportioned to the length of time, roughly. You know, it's 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 like it's like one percent. Right. It's more scalable. Two percent of the of the time. And how much is it and like how much does it take to create this? Like what do you have to do to create all this? Like well, you know Do you feed it fucking water been, or like what? What well, happens? You get the cells you get the cells and you pull them away from the animal. We've learned how to culture meat cells separate from the animal. And so we just sort of grow them up in our bioreactors that way. And what's really great about this technology is it relies on about almost 100 years of work that's been done on cell growth. So the, the biomedical technology understands this, how to grow these cells extremely well. And so, um, you know, uh, the global talent around there being able to produce this is just advancing super fast. Um, and, uh, 
And so, yeah, the, you basically just need to feed the cells the kind of um, the kind of nutrients that they normally like, which are pretty much sugar and a little bit of salt and some minerals and some vitamins. And the cells can take that and grow into uh, into bigger cells. Wow. So and they don't create sewage, right? There's waste, but it's pretty innocuous. You can just dump it in the water system and it's just it's very easily treated. You know, compared to cow sewage. Right? Wait, so cells are eating. They're consuming food. Yeah. Of some sense. Sugar. Every, all of our cells are in our body. They're just using blood, which is like what they prefer to get. There's oxygen in there. There's sugar in there. But there's no, you know, you eat a bologna sandwich. There's not going to be little pieces of bologna in there. It's all processed down to its basic nutritional sort of like, uh, you know, uh, chemicals. And we can get those chemicals straight off from, from all kinds of places in the food system. And yeah, they're pretty cheap. Yeah. It's always interesting to me. It almost feels like in a way where it's like, you know, I don't know. I start thinking like, Hey, you know, it seems like life's inside of other lives and so on and so on Mm. and so on. And it's like, and I start thinking like, man, you know, are we just like a fucking cell of some big organism that we just can't scale, right? Something we can't fathom, you know, are we like a, a cell in something else? Just a, we are. Well, we're, you know, it's, yeah, well, there's what we call a galaxy hive mind, you know, I mean, there's the, our social, you know, the social, the social milieu is kind of like a collective entity, really. Uh, there's some other, there's some crazy science out there that, that talks about some of the, some of my favorite stuff is not biology. Really? What is that? Psychology. What's that? Well, uh, there's this, uh, one of my favorite books is, um, what's it called? Uh, oh, shoot. The wisdom of crowds. Okay. And there was this experiment done, by this kind of Francis Galton, like in the 19th century. And Galton thought that people were, he was an elitist and he thought that the regular people were not very bright and that they really weren't worth much. And so he was at County fair and they're having a raffle where they, um, they had this prize steer and they said, guess the way to this animal, the one who's closest will get a prize. And Galton, Galton saw this as aha, a chance to show how really bad, the regular people are the uneducated, unwashed people. He said, these guesses are going to be miserable uh, because most of these people are country bumpkins. Ha ha ha. So, so he takes, he actually talked the guy into giving him the slips of all the guesses. Uh, and instead of seeing what he thought was going to get, which was a bunch of crappy, crappy guesses and one person getting close, but not that close. He actually looked at every number on the slip and he got the average if he averaged the guesses, it was half a pound off the weight of the steer. Wow. It was incredibly close. And he was completely flabbergasted. And he published it in a journal called Nature, which is, it was still one of the most prestigious journals in the world. And, you know, it's just sort of like it's this mysterious thing that people find that if you have a lot of people looking at something, somehow they average out and actually guess pretty well, even if they're not super educated about what it is they're guessing if they are educated the, the the chances they'll give a good guess are even better and that's mysterious like nobody knows how exactly that works uh but there's been a lot of people who want to try to use that i mean that's a little bit about internet ai um people uh people want to uh to utilize that wisdom of crowd for all kinds of things it's just amazing but it works over and over again. If you typical examples in a classroom is you have a, a jar of belly, a, a jar of jelly beans and nobody can tell how many there are there. Like I just, my mind boggles. You can't count them. And so 
they just asked, you know, they asked the students to do that. Without a doubt, the, if you got like the more students you have, the closer the average is going to be to the number of actual jelly beans in the jar. Even though like I look at a jar of jelly beans, I'm like, I just could not. I, is it a thousand? Is it 500? I cannot even guess. Right. That's bananas. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Well, the great thing about science is there's always something else worth looking at. Nobody understands. I mean, you just the fun never ends. The fun never ends. Yeah, it's too bad that I hope that everybody listening will sort of like get engaged in that because that's what's really great is just like being unexplored territory. Yeah, asking those asking those questions, asking those five whys and mm-hmm. twenty five whys. You know, I mean, that's kind of where it is. But let me ask you some other stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what other things that you know? Because we were talking a little bit offline, and you know, you brought up that you know you've had about five lives within your life of careers that you've been interested mm. in and things like that. And you said you were interested in some things earlier on. What were some of those things? And, uh, yeah, I think, uh, I think the, like for me, now that I left my regular scientist role, I just, I just find that the greatest fun I can have is to say, wonder, where am I going to go next? What am I going to be next? Because the, all this environment where on startups and so forth changes so quickly uh, uh, used to be a lot of insecurity for me to sort of think like, oh, I, I can't have this job in three years. I got to have another job. What's it going to be? But now I'm kind of surfing it. And I kind of love just sort of surfing that, uh, trying to figure out where am I going to be in three years? And I'll just sort of like, just uh, at some point, I'll just prepare to write off what I'm doing now and I'll move on to something else. So I was working as a venture capital investor uh, for four years, uh, decided the best thing to do was to co-found a startup uh, we went and we knew all this venture capital, went out and raised money. It was not a problem. Raised $15 million for Wild Earth. Uh, it was a dog revolutionary dog food company. You can still get, they're still going. They can buy the food now. Um, and, uh, but, you know, we stopped doing R&D. Uh, and so I uh, moved on and I was like, what am I going to do now? Well, I'm just going to go, I love working with startups and people doing something exciting, helping making it real. And so I've been doing that now for two and a half years. Uh, and uh, I have to, I know I'm going to have to change again, but it's been a great run. I mean, I've been, I think, very successful. I just, there's nothing like uh, encountering the unknown with like someone who's really, really, really stoked about it. You know, that's, that's the one consistent thread I get that I love. But you're also talking about that you're also interested in other things like film and things like that. Like, oh, I see my early career. Let's yeah, dig I into mean, it. Let's I've go. always kind of been like that. You know, like some people you can sort of spot them in college. Like they just really can't focus on anything. And they're always like running after one idea or another and just super excited about something they just heard about. That was me all over the place. Uh, as an undergraduate, I wanted to I thought I was going to do video. We were talking about your your studio set up here. I've built studios like this. I love it. Um, I chose science instead. Uh, science was even more unknown and more mysterious. Uh, no one in my family does science. I was the first one. Uh, and, uh, I, I just, I slowly become more and more what I call a jumper. I'm like, as soon as I see some better place to go, I just get prepared to jump. I love that. And, uh, it's, it's just a great life. Uh, it's a life that I could not have imagined for myself even seven or eight years ago, but, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, if I come back in a couple of years, I'll be talking about something completely else. I'm pretty sure, you know, I mean, there's no reason to, there's no end of crazy things to do. Um, fascinating, fascinating things to get involved in. 
What are you? What else are you interested in? I mean, you you, you said uh, you know maybe in a, a while or a couple of years you never know. Like, what other things are you well? Know, so what, what, what I, I'm going to get back to the biology here because you know meat was meat and animal products is something that definitely has caught people's imagination, and there's been billions of dollars invested in the past couple of years, and it's really starting to take hold. We're really starting to see momentum behind those products and people it changing people's lives and finally getting to the volume where it's going to help the environment. I think we're going to see that next year or two. But, uh, you know, as I say, as McKinsey saw and we saw, I, I think what's going to happen is more and more waves of these technologies that come out, they're going to start touching human beings in a fascinating way. Like, for instance, right now, I can see a second strong wave in fashion and beauty, right? So uh, one, of my, one of the investments we made and some friends of mine called Mycoworks, they, make, they learned how to make a leather out of, uh, out of mushrooms, they grow this mushroom and it grows all these little fibers called mycelium and they learn to make the fibers and turn them into leather and they feel just like an organic animal leather. You know, if you take a vegan leather, which is made out of plastic, you touch it, you know, it's cold. You can tell it's plastic. Your fingers know. But when you touch their stuff, Phil, Phil Ross is the, the technical officer there. He's basically the founder. Uh, he loves funguses. He's been a, he's been a fine artist working with living things all of his life. And he is just absolutely uncompromising. You know, when he makes a piece of leather, it just, it's just so natural feeling, you know, it's just a really convincing product. You know, he's, he and his team are building a factory. They're going to start chugging this stuff out. And, um, you know, it's just one more animal source that we don't have to deal with, but, uh, being able to make leather like that means that we'll be able to do all kinds of crazy things that we couldn't otherwise do because leather is kind of expensive and it's kind of difficult to deal with. And when you skin an animal, sometimes the cut doesn't come out the way you want. These guys can just produce this. It's it's just like it's an amazing, uh, amazing future with them. And fashion is very interesting because most clothing is not recyclable. It has to go to landfill. And so we want to create a sustainable biodegradable materials, materials made out of biology, less chemicals. Uh, everybody wants to he- wants that for the fashion. So there's a great hunger for it right now, seeing lots of innovations. Wow. That's interesting. So like, what do you think? Like, I mean, like right now there's like this financial crisis, if you will, right. Mm-hmm. You know, of inflation. Like, what do you think it like when you're looking at startups and you're looking at investments and things like that, what would you say to a lot of the startups and, and, and founders now when they're trying to raise capital. Yeah. Okay. That is a topic I like to call how to kill it. So this is what I do. I like to engage in founders and help them get over these problems, right? The number one piece of advice is that you got to remember that you really want to let yourself be exceptional. I think a lot of people say, I want to be an entrepreneur. And they're like afraid. We're all afraid when we try something new. There's nothing wrong with that. But they, that comes out and they sort of say like, I'm going to be, I'm going to be like Uber, but we're going to just only do golf carts. You know, like you just, a lot of people come out with an idea you've heard before and they just make it a little smaller to make it sound more possible. That's not what the investors want to hear. What we want to hear is what do you have that's completely different? Do you have, do you have something that you've seen that you know will change the world? Much rather talk to somebody who who's ready to change the world and doesn't know how to do it than someone who is not going to change any damn thing. (laughs) 
<laughs> and, and, and is free to admit that. You know, I mean, it's much more likely that latter person will be able to build that business. But is it a business that we really need? Um, I think uh, the thing about startups is that people forget that we're here to do something special. And so if you let yourself be exceptional, be different, you know, let yourself be exposed like that. That's just something people love. And it's just one of those rare places where just being yourself is like the best you can be. I just, I, people don't take advantage of that. It's the, it's a problem. It's too bad. You know? Um, uh, I think, uh, yeah, people are hiding their light under a bushel a lot and just, you don't want to do that. That's one of the big things. Well, so you're basically saying that, you know, if you're a founder, you should, you should be out there, you know, um, taking big risks. You should be, you know, building things that you feel fit within your scope of, 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 of leveling well, not really leveling the playing field, but, you know, pushing things further, not yeah. really doing things that are minute or just have like a one small feature set and two, it's like, it's like, you know, LinkedIn plus, you know, um, a dating site, you know, it's like, you're that's saying right. something, something that's pushing the, the curve. That's right. I mean, people make jokes about pitches like that. It's like, it's like Uber, but for pets, you know, like people really want to, there are a lot of pitches like that. Those are the insane pitches. Nobody really wants to hear. I have to tell you like, but a, a new idea that's really original, that's rare. And it sticks out like a sore thumb and it brings, it brings attention and talent and resources to you to get it done. If you really let yourself be as special as possible, you know, then, then you have a shot at doing something really amazing, but don't be less amazing than you could be. But, you know, I, I wanted to, you know, touch on this, you know, at what point, what makes something that's revolutionary? You know, when you look at some of these startups, for example, like, well, now we're originally startups, but now are these uh, public companies like Netflix, for example, you know, mm -hmm. how far were they pushing the curve when you were just saying, you know, this is blockbuster, but for online? Well, you know, I think there's another thing, and I think you and I talked about this a little too, you know, as someone who develops product, we've both seen this. There's another thing too, is that like, you also have to try something to get it go, to, to, to see if it has anything in it. You can't just stand back at long distance and say, oh, Uber for pets, that sounds, that sounds good, or it sounds bad. You know, you kind of have to try it. What, what I've seen time after time after time is people say, I really, I really want to be here. I really want to do this. I have this basic idea. I will sit with someone for six months trying to find what's special about an idea like that. Because you have to sometimes find markets that you didn't know existed that are desperate to talk to you, right? And so if you have a real advantage, you can turn that into one of these big, this, this, uh, into big ambitions. But I like to just sort of sit with people through that. And uh, that's kind of one of my specialties is seeing something more deeply in what someone is proposing than they even they see because I, I know a lot of different markets and I've seen these transformations and that exploration is a form of discovery that's just thrilling right it's it's like discovering a new planet <laughs> it's like it's like science it's like oh my gosh this is really good business like that's an amazing thing to see wow that's pretty interesting yeah I, I kind of like you know when I think about startups it's it's a it's a wild journey because you, you, you think about a lot of people, they will be raising, you know, capital from, um, well, they'll attempt to raise capital from numerous of investors, but may not land anything until they get to like a hundred. 
right? And then it's like, oh, this one investor said, okay. And then eventually they scaled and they might have mm -hmm. made it. But then there's a lot that don't ever make it. And there's a lot that raise yeah. money that don't make it. I mean, you have like That's Elizabeth right. Holmes and things like that with Farinos and, you know. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I, I you know. I realize Elizabeth Holmes had a lot of problems. <laughs> now. I, and, and mistakes were made. <laughs> Maybe she should have tried a different way. But, you know, I mean, I'll, give her, I'll give her credit for one thing. She had a basic idea that would have changed everything. And it was a great idea. It just, she just could not make it happen. So you go back to that 19-year-old Elizabeth Holmes started raising funds. I do want to be around Elizabeth Holmes at that age when she started to lie and she couldn't sort of make it happen. And she sort of took the easy route and sort of tried to copy your way into a machine. Then I wouldn't want to be around that. You know what I mean? Like it's, you have to make the right choices, but if you have this fantastic idea and you make the right choices, it really is amazing. Uh, and that's an experience worth having. And I don't want to knock her for trying. Yeah. She may have gone, she probably went too far in terms of her pursuit. She went the wrong path. But uh, I, I work with people all the time who, and I try to get them to choose the right path. And it's usually the hard path. I got to say, it's like, oh, you know, we're going to have to take a couple of years to sort this out. You know, the investors will be patient with us because it's worth having. You've got a great idea. People will be patient with you. If you got a kind of mediocre idea, people will say like, hey, this isn't a big deal. Where, where is it? You know, they won't give you the extra time. And so uh, I still admire her for her ambition. I just don't approve of her choices. You know, right. like, you know, I, I, I want to say that, you know, I mean, like there's some good things that she did. They're in the past, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, uh, yeah, it was her execution. I mean, when you think about how she did things, I think that's was where, you know, the, that's the choice right. went She made poor. some choices. We're going to, we're going to not gonna we're not gonna look to our employees to solve this problem we can't nobody can seem to quite make this work i'm too busy to actually make this happen i'm not tech leadership is not technical enough to get into the weeds on that there were a lot of a lot of things i would have done obviously quite differently if i were in her position um i think i ha i know several companies are actually trying to make it work i believe somewhere out there there will be someone who can launch diagnostics with a couple drops of blood um uh, or something like that. In fact, I'm working with a company that's not using that kind of technology to to do some remarkable things with blood. Um, it's too bad if she's causing a slowdown on that, if Theranos causes a slowdown on that, but it's going to happen. Someday, somebody, maybe someone just listening to the podcast, will produce a product that will do everything Theranos said, and it will just be a ghostly memory, right? Uh, it's definitely possible to produce that product it just theranos and elizabeth holmes were just not the people who are going to do it but the idea is not dead and that's what's really exciting you know it's like hey a lot of people have have gone down that path and they haven't come back but that doesn't mean we're not i just love that sense of adventure because it's worth having it's just that you just have to you you, you just have to do it the right way yeah that's interesting and when you look at like, I don't know that there's, there's so many different ways to, you know, disrupt things. And, you know, one thing that I'm, I'm, I think that, you know, we've been searching for or humankind has been searching for is that fountain of youth. When we start mm -hmm. talking about genetics oh, and, yeah. and biology oh, yeah. and, you know, we have things like NAD 
that exists now. And, you know, some people who are able to understand it or, or take mm -hmm. advantage of it are taking it to yeah. extend life or to slow down the process. Right. Like, what do you think? Like, where do you see us with that, you know, that well, process? And what, you know, what's your opinion? The baby boomers are rich and they're not going to want to die. <laughs> and that's turned into a that's turned into a major sector of investment. There's a lot of people who are interested in life extension uh, and looking at long term health. Uh, I think it's a great place to put your money. Uh, there are some amazing things that are happening. We have a lot to learn, but I think that's a great problem for private capital to take on because you can't actually work on that problem with an NIH grant for the most part. Uh, the federal, the feds don't fund so much of that research. What we find is I think the 21st century is going to be, you know, we get some great scientists in academia. They have a new idea. They prove something. And then private capital is going to run in there and make it happen in a short period of time. That's how we're going to see these these products come to light. Um, I think that you and I are going to live an extra 10 to 20 years longer because of this, because of that. Just my guess. Yeah. 10 to 20 years longer. Ooh. <laughs> what are you going to do with that time? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I hope, hopefully, hopefully figured out some stuff Hope, earlier hopefully not that. just like not just binging Netflix. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I mean, start my own podcast. Yeah, I don't know. It's just always interesting to me because when you think about so many different like like sharks and stuff like that and turtles, they live mm -hmm. so much longer than us. You know, sharks don't get cancer either. That's even wilder. You can feed them carcinogens; they don't get cancer. Why is that? No, uh, some people have theories. I'm not actually. I haven't read through that. I looked at a couple articles, um, but. Uh, you know, it's the, the people love looking at some of the animals that don't get cancer and wondering why. It's hard to believe that something with that many cells won't get cancer. But, uh, yeah, I'm not sure. That's interesting. You know, I was reading one book uh, that was written by one uh, doctor for like around like 40 years. And he was saying like, you know, there's, there was hidden hidden reasons of, of, of how we do certain things or how we think can help increase certain diseases like self hate and things like that can increase like the, the and depression can cause like things like um, that he saw. Uh, well, he basically said that he saw a, a pattern that people who had like self hate or who had like depression typically had like, like cancers. Yeah. You know what the biggest obstacle to, I think the biggest obstacle that people just don't talk about to a long life and good health is just simply our need to resist everything. Like, it's really us. We stand in our own way so much. If you look at all the recommendations for good health, you almost anybody could live longer, be healthier, be happier. But we just can't do it <laughs> for the most part. Like we get more obese every year and our blood pressure goes up. And, and uh, I, you know, I've been on this, I've been on this health kick for the last couple of years and just reading the literature and just doing what they tell me and trying some new things of my own. I, I, you know, it just goes along with the rest of my lifestyle. I'm just so much healthier than I've ever been. Even when I was in my twenties, I was not this healthy that I am. I just had, you know, uh, so yeah, just keep digging and trying things and you, you do what works for you. You'll be surprised. I think, but why do you know, why do you, why do you think that we don't take care of ourselves? You know, like, why don't we care about ourselves? You know, it seems like, you know, when you look back in history, a lot of people prior seemed to be a little bit more healthy. Was it because they were hunters and gatherers or like, what was the difference between us? It seems Maybe, like we don't I take mean, care of ourselves. Probably it was that, probably there's a big social factor in that everybody in a medieval village has to work. And I'm sure that helped a lot. 
It also probably helped that they were starving a little bit because eating less food is the one thing that's very common to all longevity research. Like the less the cells have to take in, the healthier they are. And so starving yourself a little bit is a really great way to live healthier and longer. Um, uh, but uh, I, you know, there's another thing too, is that most, is this exceptional? I'm going to go back to this. Let yourself be exceptional. Today, the way society is now, we have so much freedom and we don't take it. We kind of let ourselves migrate to the mean. Like I'm, I'm not overweight for average you know, male my age. Yeah, but the average male your weight age is getting fatter. <laughs> it's like, but I'm still underneath the average. Like that's just an excuse. And so we, you know, if you believe your own excuses, I think that's the biggest problem that you may have. Like I, you just have to turn all that off and just look in the mirror and say like, am I happy with this? Is this what I want? Or could, should do I want to do better? And then being able to say, yeah, I want to do better. And I'm going to grab that. Those are three things that most people do not do. You're right, 100. percent But I feel like I, f- I feel like I feel like you know. You know Gary V. There's you uh, know who Gary V. Is I know Gary V. Is of course, Gary yeah, because everybody watches like miles and miles. I've actually time. met Gary V. You did? Yeah. What was it like? Um, I met him. It was random. It was like right after like. Uh, uh, Facebook, the movie came out around ah. that time and Facebook was going public mm-hmm. and I was on this like Russian roulette type of like, po- uh, platform that he was investing in. It was started by Sean Parker right after the Facebook movie. How cool. And I was on it late at night cause I was always testing out products. I'm always trying to see the interactions. Like, oh man, what's this? Mm-hmm. And I was like one of the first couple of users to use it and help it, uh, test it. And I was just flipping through it, you know, just seeing who I would actually interact with. And then it's freaking Gary V and he's like, Kind of like in his underwear or like pajamas or something like uh-huh. that, and he's sitting on his bed. He's like, "Hey, hey, 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 hey! I know, don't, 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 don't turn, don't turn. This is not. I know this looks weird. I'm not weird. I'm not a creep. I promise you. I just. <laughs> he must be loving this product. I have to introduce myself. Tell everybody I'm not a pervert. Like, yeah, he was product. just like, I'm just. He okay. said, I'm just, I'm just investing in this product, hmm. and I'm just checking it out late night. It was late. And so he was. Just, I was trying to see how it was gonna work. You know, he said, there's, cool. "There's really smart people behind this." Sean Parker, you know, uh, I think it's gonna do really well, and I'm investing into it. So I'm trying to see like how this works, and you know, and uh, do you like it? Like He's feeling if, out the product. Yeah, he was really That's into cool. it. I was like, this guy That's is like amazing. on it. And I was like, I don't know who Gary V is, but you know, he said, hey, you know what? I'm gonna follow you. He said, what's your? He said, what's your Twitter? I'm gonna follow you on Twitter right now. And sister, all right. So he follows me on Twitter right there. Wow. And I'm like, that's freaking awesome. That's I was like, yeah, year. thanks, man. I was like, Twitter cool. Career. But I didn't even know who he was. So I was like, it's like, fuck, Gary V. I that's like, amazing. Gary V. And I looked him up later. I was like, oh, I've the wine guy. Like he's a, he's a, he's now he's huge. He's a huge entrepreneurial sort of like motivator too. I, I like watching him sometimes. He has some great advice. But I think the, the, uh, what I was thinking of is like he has this one thing he says over and over again. Like he shows up on a panel, he gives a half hour talk about how to move things forward, how to be a hustler, you know. And he, usually for a long time, he would say at the end, he'd say, why do I do this? I do this because hardly anybody's going to take my advice. If everybody sort of like jumped up and sort of started to be like Gary Vee, he'd be so there'd be so much competition. It'd be hard to be heard. But he knows it's not going to happen. That's how rare it is that people will stand up for themselves. That gets back to a lot of the questions we have here. Like, I'll tell you another story. I was at a party one night, and some of the early product people who were with Square, 
were there. And I said, oh, hey, tell me a square story. He's like, what's the most amazing thing that happened to you? He's like, yeah, you know, when we started pro- testing the product for Square, paraphrasing, he said, uh, we thought that people would want to use Square to grow their business and get more revenue. But what they really wanted was they wanted to spend less time with their business. They wanted more downtime. And I'm like, well, that makes no sense to me. I just, I'm just not the kind of person who would do that. It's like, hey, if I can make an extra hundred bucks a month, I'll put the extra five minutes in that because next month it'll be uh, it'll be an extra two hundred, you know. And I just, I, 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 uh, yeah. But I think that is a much more typical response. And to the extent that we can, we kind of got to get that that blockage that I am not exceptional. I don't really want. I don't. I don't know. I. I, I just like. I, I. That's not who I want to work with. I, I. I recognize a lot of people like that. I have no problem with it. But that's the biggest obstacle to 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 achieving some of these startup goals, though. So wait, what are you saying? Are you saying morally that you felt like their answer wasn't um, legitimate as much, or the goal wasn't well? The so, problem so they were this, trying to solve. Yeah, I mean, I was a little surprised because you know what these people are doing is they're talking to small business owners. Right, because those are the Square customers. They're trying to accept payments from credit cards for whatever it is they want, right? And I, I just think of myself as like being a small business owner is like a is like this invitation to struggle. You know, you're going to make a couple hundred dollars a month, a couple thousand dollars a month. I would think you'd want to grow that business to a certain size to have a sense of security, uh, and that size is using employees to achieve. A couple hundred, at least a couple hundred thousand dollars a month in revenue. That's that, that's what I consider to be a business where I can I don't have to pay attention to the business all the time. Like that would be my goal. Uh, but a lot of people are making a lot less money than that, and they just kind of want to. That's what the guy's saying is like they don't really want that. They kind of want to be where they're at. They just want to work less hard at it. And so that's that is surprising to me because it's not how I think. I don't you know. Everybody should do what they want to do. I will make that clear. Like if that's what if that's your bag, that's great. I just had no idea there's so many people with the attitude. So you mean that you, you what they basically said is from their information that they did or their feedback that they got from their customers um, was, you know, their primary uh, use case is to solve a problem for time, right? Instead of solving the problem for them to make more money to grow, to grow. Ah. But isn't that inherently the same or a similar thing? Doesn't isn't it a cause and effect? If you have more time, you can have more time to grow, or maybe not. I don't know. No, it's That's more interesting. Like, I want to take weekends off. That's what it was about. Well, I'm just giving you an example. I think uh, a lot of people like to take weekends off, mm-hmm. but I know, like a lot of people want to run a restaurant, for instance. If you are in the restaurant industry, you may never take a weekend off because that's when everybody comes in. You take Monday, Tuesday off. Right. That's fine. Nobody comes in. Nobody goes out to eat on Monday or Tuesday, relatively speaking. You know, like you got to be there when the business comes in. Uh, uh, but, uh, you know, I'm, I, I think it's fine if people want to do that. But I think what we're seeing now at times like this come along is inflation and there's all kinds of instability. I think it's good to have a, a good enough size that you don't have to. That you can sort of weather the storm you know and i think i don't know i i, I like building things so i i want to i want to build something a little bigger than that i would i would think but 
that's just it is a personal preference. Yeah, I think I think the thing is, I think probably maybe so many people are burnt out, maybe from their small business that they can't see past. You know, <laughs> or maybe they're just happy where they are. And yeah, of course, that's that true is too. fine. That is fine. I've just, I guess the, the real, the real thing about the story is this. So like that, that there was a substantial majority of people, whereas, you know, you might say, oh, there's some people like that. Some people are elsewhere. No, most people are like that. So, uh, that's, that's, uh, you know, I mean, I think getting back to entrepreneurship and startups, like, I think if you want to get an investor to come and give you drop a whole bunch of money in your lap to make make your you know your business real you've got to have some real strong ambitions for that business and that's who i tend to work with and i i like that attitude and it charges me up to be honest i just like being around that there's a lot of energy for it um usually i'm not growing my business too much but uh um so i just i just like helping people reach those goals yeah, that's a lot of interesting stuff. I don't know. That's interesting. I feel like we're in this loop of like this time, you know, because you were mentioning, you you know, to go to backtrack a little bit about Gary Vee mm. and his personality trait and, and the things yeah. that you mentioned about him is, you know, I feel like, you know, we're in a time where most people feel like, you know, uh, feedback is bad. So even when you go back and you start talking about weight and things like that, when mm. we're trying to be self-aware of oneself, we're, I feel like the United States that we live in now is all about, you know, you know, anti, you know, um, self-help in certain yeah, ways. It it's like, you know, body shaming, you know, if you're over fucking weight, you're overweight, let's get some gym in there. Cause like, what's going to make me, what's going to motivate me to, to lose weight? Just you telling me, you know what, you know, uh, don't body shame me. That's not going to fucking stop me from, you know, gaining weight. I mean, I'm going to sit there and, and stay myself. Yeah. I'm going to keep on it's laying like on the fucking couch and chips. Like, I'm just going to, I'll show you. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, you know what? You just said I need to maybe exercise. I go to the doctor. Doctor says you need to lose some weight. Are you body shaming me? I can't believe it. Now I'm going to tweet that out. That's my hurt feelings. Yeah, no, I think actually, you know, you read most business books, most entrepreneurial entrepreneurship books, or even self-help books. Most of them talk about how you need to sort of like not take things too personally. It's, it's now become one of the top things that I see. I've read, I've been through four or five of them last month. And they usually start with that. Um, I guess you just got to be prepared to take good advice. That's a hard one to do just on your own. Yeah, I just think like now more than ever, it's just like more feedback. Ever. More than ever. For, more, 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 more than ever. Some people are like landing themselves in jail. Like it's like, no one's going to tell me I can't run into the Capitol building. Like, mm, you know, it's not your building. So uh, <laughs> it's like, you can't tell me that. Like, there's a lot of you can't tell me this. You tell me that. And like, I'm like, I, I like to work with people who are like, tell me what I'm doing wrong. And you can you get close to people like that. I want to ask. I want to tell you something like, who are the best friends to ours? What Who are the best friends? To me, the, to me, the, the best friends I like to lean on are the people who are going to be transparent to me in a helpful way, right? And 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 I'm not saying in a way where it's just like, right. oh, they're being nice about everything 24 seven. But there's a way to articulate things and say, hey, man, you know, dude, you're getting a little bit of, you know, you might be getting you're in trouble. losing weight, or you might need to be help. Yeah. You might you might want to stop this, dude, because this is not a That's good right. pattern. You know, hey, you need to quit hanging around this person. Are, yeah. when, when you're putting head in the wrong direction. People are going to call you out on your shit. Let's they just will. be clear. Yeah, absolutely right. Absolutely right. I mean, I, I just don't know. I Some people actually do prefer them, but I've never heard anybody actually say, I want people to tell me I'm doing good no matter what I'm doing. Like, what is that? Right. And but 
when time come when when time comes, you have to be the person to thank that person for basically when you when you criticize your friends, you're basically risking your friendship with them for their own good. And if someone doesn't see it that way, you're just going to have fewer friends. That's why people don't do it. Uh, I think you have to really proactively welcome that and seek it out and really value those friends. Uh, not a common, not a common approach. <laughs> no, I, I, I agree with you. I remember I, you know, I was talking to one of my uh, friends, you know, we had started up a, a startup a long time ago yeah. together and then he went off to um, um, Harvard and, you know, became like a little professor and stuff like that. And I was telling him, I was like, Hey man, you know, I was, I was like, he was doing public speaking and things like that. And I was like, Hey, listen, dude, you're, I said, I'm, I'm digging the public speaking. You're getting great at it. Keep on going. I love it. It's awesome. I said, but Hey, if you're doing public speaking, man, I said, I would tell you one thing is if you would fix your teeth, it would help you 100%, dude. I'm telling you, he, he got upset about that. He said, Really? He got upset about that. And then he was like, but he didn't say it. He didn't say it uh, exactly. He said, I don't know if that's appropriate. And I was like, are you serious? I was like, hey, man, this is a business move. Like if if you work with anybody in the business yeah. who's power movers, they're going to tell you exactly what bad. the fuck is going on. They're going for him. He's yeah. Him. He's showing his yellow teeth around. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't about yellow teeth. He had like crowded teeth and they were all very crooked. Looking a little weird. And so when you're opening your mouth, people are going to look at your mouth. Like yeah. if you're working with anybody who's a, a person who's going to talk about personal brand and, you know, your look and, and, oh, and they're going to be a, you know, these type of people who are publicists, they're going to tell, tell you about it. Most of the fix people, these things. most of the people I work with, they're like PhD scientists. They've been in graduate school their entire life. And now they have to become a CEO, public face, a thought leader, there's a huge transition. And anybody who looks at that and sort of says, I can just do this by myself. It's super easy. I don't need any help. Like, I don't know what you're talking about, but you know, Godspeed, but uh, you know, I think it's a big step. And uh, you know, um, the transformation, transformation can be gigantic, but you have to be at least admit, like I'm changing, you know, like if you can't admit that, like where are you going to go? I'm just gonna be myself. Yeah, you got to be able to take constructive feedback. You know, it's not like a stab in your heart. It's always about what's being like, is this helpful for me, really? Like, you, you have to be a little bit self-aware, but instead of being defensive, like, oh, I can't believe you said that. I mean, like, yeah. Like, I, people don't notice. I was a staff scientist, a PhD staff scientist. You get no public speaking exposure at all in that job. And suddenly I'm working as an investor and I'm being invited to give talks in front of panels. I have no idea how to represent myself. And I've had to learn everything. And I, I was dying for someone to call him and tell me, hey, you need to do this and you need to do that. Uh, I actually ended up having to go out and, and, and sort of like do my own work on it. Uh, and I understand because people are happy to give advice, but they're afraid that you're going to come back and bite them back. You know, and I, I, I get that. You know, I get that. But that means probably you have to do that work yourself or you find, have someone uh, like myself to come along and help you. I love helping people with uh, media transitions like that. I uh, had some great success uh, in a couple of in, in a couple of cases, but uh, uh, you have to be able to stand up and talk about yourself. No one's going to talk about yourself for you. You know, like who's yeah. going to who's going to advertise your podcast? Got to be you, right? Yeah, I mean, I, like I think a lot of people like hanging around yes people, and I think mm-hmm. that is the, what's contagious. And in, in, in our society now, like I said, I feel like it it it, pr- it promotes this. You know, these, these yes people, these really people who bite, just give you likes. Really, it can really bite you in the ass too. Like I think, and have you, have you seen this? Like 
you've probably you've been around publicity photos and like that I, what i discovered is a lot of the people like a lot of photographers for instance they're taking my picture they're using it for publicity for you know the, the accelerator or as an investor or whatever they're using the photograph for them but a lot of them don't want to mess with me and tell me like oh there's something wrong so i'll like get the photo back i'm like what happened to my hair it's like there's this big spike going off in this direction like you didn't tell me that my hair needed fixing like they wouldn't actually they don't want to get get into it with me so they just leave my hair off in somewhere now i you know i go look at the mirror before i i, I get in front of a camera but i kind of you have to do it by yourself like even the photographer won't do that crazy world right because people are afraid they don't want to piss yeah, people off exactly I mean, Elon Musk, somebody had to tell him or he realized himself that he his hair was going away and he got it fixed. He did. He just didn't say, hey, let me like like that would like how would like when you think about it, how would that have impacted his his leadership role? You know, him not having here. I mean, you had Steve Jobs who didn't, mm -hmm. but I think it fit him more. I love that part of the job, actually, is because when I st first started being an investor, you know, uh, it was kind of like this is one of the greatest crucibles for change is like letting your back go up against the wall like. I quit my my career as a scientist. I left a comfortable job with a good paycheck. And here I was becoming investor. I was getting paid decently, but there was no clear, it wasn't clear that that job was gonna be around in another year. Like we had to be successful or we were gonna be out. So we worked super hard. I was sweating every day. What can I learn? What else can I change? How can I make these companies successful? They've got to be successful. Otherwise, I'm done. You know what I mean? But that that's just like is also like a great time to be alive. Uh, so that's the secret is to like, yeah, go ahead. You know, like really put something on the table. Yeah, you got to you got to you got to put yourself out there and you got to put yourself out there open for criticism. And I'm not saying like all criticism you know, or I don't want to say you criticism. I, I would say I would say feedback. There's a difference yeah. between feedback and criticism in a way. But I think there's a thin line between it. And I think people can't they, they can't really separate which one is which, you yeah. know, if somebody's saying, OK, screw so you. And the, where's the line for you? Let's talk. Let's let's set the line right now. You know what? Here's here's what for me. Yeah. It's like, you know, it, it, it depends on how close the person is or sometimes that matters or sometimes mm -hmm. it doesn't. But sometimes somebody might it's how it's being said. And I think people take that in different variant ways. But somebody says, hey, man, Ron, I love you, bro. But you know what? Um, you know, I don't like polo. I really like Tommy Hilfiger. And I got this little horse on my shirt. Yeah, you know, but some people might some people some people might be against you know Tom, yeah. uh, polo. Yeah, they might be like Tommy Hilfiger. Yeah, you it's know, polarizing. Right, polarizing. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, like this is how I would you know I would start it off well, with with a compliment so, and yeah. and then so that's lead giving it with that. the advice. Yes, but the advice itself. If you're the listener, I have this advice. Right, listen very carefully to every word. If the word if if the if it's telling you that you're broken and there's something wrong about you that you cannot fix that's that's an insult it's hurtful that's harmful but if it's talking about you not doing something but that you can change that is helpful and people confuse those all the time like you're stupid is just completely unhelpful right but it's like you could learn to slow down and read more clearly. That's not an insult. Anybody can do that, probably. Right? 
No, I totally agree with you. And this is something I've always thought about too as well. And, and internally, mm -hmm. like when I'm trying to, you know, have self-reflection, mm -hmm. you know, I'm like, hey, you know, how can I do this differently? Or how can I do this? And it's like, it is that. And it's totally that. It's like, I would say sometimes to certain people, but like, hey, look, you know, this is something you can change. Like you can go to the gym, you can work out. So this is not like I'm saying something to you that you can't improve. I'm just talking about self-improvement. How can you make yourself yeah. better? Right. And it's okay not to take You don't I mean, have to listen to once it. Once you start listening to advice, you're going to get so much you can't do it all. And that's okay too. That, that, that leaves you the primary task of sorting out what's the most important advice and prioritizing and just taking on those things that you can. But being grateful for all of it doesn't make you less of a person. I, you know, I think it'll make you some friends. Really. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. And by the way, I also love this, uh, this, uh, this, uh, um, uh, synthetic type of, well, meat or plant-based meat, which is impossible burger. I find yeah. it to be like, to it tastes the, the right same. Now. Yeah. It does. It's really interesting to have it's a little tricky. party and you make a little bit of like Angus beef burger and a little impossible and a little beyond. The taste difference is just amazing. Impossible is really great. I like the sausage now. Got the mild sausage. I make it with, uh, you know, sausage spaghetti sauce and all kinds of things. It's delicious. Ragu, like sausage ragu. I'm going to make some my kids you're great. killing me here it's great. <laughs> i gotta go by trader joe's and get some i know stuff. you're making it all out bro but you can get you can get impossible burger from target now you can you can get it almost anywhere i just uh i just haven't found i haven't found the sausages there though yet i didn't know they, they even have had those it, yet but they have it a safe way definitely mm. and, and i think i got some at trader joe's i'm not sure about you know walmart or whatever but i need to find those because I, I i tried them one time and i was like man these taste exactly like regular sauces like what are these yeah once you put some spice in it. there it starts taking very real you know but like for p i use it for pizzas and sausage sauce and little sausage patties in the morning and yeah, I'm loving the tacos. Oh, you know, yeah. I replaced the hamburger meat with mm -hmm. with the Impossible mm -hmm. Burger for the tacos. And I cannot tell the and difference. Every time you do that, you're saving like a thousand gallons of water or something like that. It's incredible. I'm That's also thinking about how I'm saving my, you know, my health. Yeah, right. No <laughs> cholesterol. That's right. And there's all these studies that show that you, you know, your health does better on plant based meat than regular meat, even though it's not the healthiest plant material you could eat you could eat lettuce and probably be healthier it's still substantially better than eating meat so like what's the problem right what's and i usually point? like to eat it to complement you mm -hmm. know uh you know lettuce or something like that like a taco salad or things yeah, like that Just that's right that's pretty right. awesome yeah, you yeah. got to get your veggies in too so yeah, think yeah. i'm trying yeah. to double dose it i'll just tell you this man if uh if we cut back 50 percent of the beef we would roll back climate change 10 percent it would be like five, five, eight years of climate change would be rolled back if we cut our beef consumption in half. I mean, what do you think about this? Is climate change real? What do you, what do you have to say for those who say climate change it's isn't real? It's fake. It's real. I mean, I just drove down. This happens. Here. All this the is time. the hottest summer in the Bay Area since I've lived here in June. It's so hot for June. Usually, when I moved here in 2000, you would get fog in June. And it would be kind of cold. And you really couldn't go downtown San Francisco without a thick coat because the fog might roll in. Just 20 years later, like T-shirts, T-shirts and shorts downtown San Francisco. And the sun's just beating down on us now. And we're getting very high temperatures in June. It used to be that would be late July to get into the 90s. And we're getting that now. It's it, You can just see climate change in the Bay Area. But there was like a... It's really going to impact us. Like there was a friend sent me a story that this 
large herds of cattle are just dying from heat exhaustion in Kansas. That's primarily beef raising counties. And there's just hundreds of them just dying because it's too hot. It went over 100 degrees this last week for several days. That's bananas. It is bananas. I just, you know, you know, like if you want to, you can hide at home and sort of say, this isn't happening, isn't happening. But it's, you know, some people is very real, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, when you can't raise beef in certain parts of the country, it's going to be more expensive. It's going to be harder to get, you know, these are all kind of permanent changes. Yeah. You know, I think like, you know, there's also, you know, uh, the thing where it's like thought about where it's, uh, you know, you have like the, the polar caps, you know, and it's just like at one time, you know, these were grasslands. These places were hot and it's like now they're cold. And it's like, is there some type of like pattern within earth to where there's some some type of natural, you know, climate change that happens? There is. But, you know, I mean, the temperature change is much faster than any geogra- geological record. So there was an ice age and there was a sort of like a swamp age before that for the dinosaurs but uh that that those would change over millions of years and what we're seeing is like hmm, 20 years we're getting baked pretty bad you know i mean i uh i actually this kind of gets back to the other problem we talked about where people just like they you know we could be out there doing all kinds of great things but we kind of wanted to we feel inertia i think there's a lot of inertia around this kind of thing you know because it makes when something's caused threatens us and make us change, it's just something that's going to meet a lot of resistance normally, you know, and I, 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 you know, but I'll tell you, like when I was living in Boston, you know, the cod were starting to get fished out. Uh, you know, if you go back to the nineties, you could go to any store and find rows and rows and rows of frozen cod and it was super cheap, but they, the fishermen were taking it all out of the water and it started to run out in the 90s. And the fish, the fish, the people running the fisheries, the fishing, the fishermen, they absolutely refused to conserve it all. They didn't want to cut back the catch. They just want to catch whatever they wanted to catch. And the conservationists weren't getting any traction. And then in the end, the fish ran out and people had to sell all their boats. And of course, because everyone's trying to sell a boat at the same time, the boats were worthless. And that that caused a huge surgeon heroin in the northeast maritimes like all these fishermen were going to heroin like it was boston i was living in boston at the time and they were just talking about like oh we got to have all kinds of you know opioid treatment clinics and stuff like for the unemployed fishermen and like it was really depressing up there if we don't if we don't look to the future we're all headed for some sort of like oh mia culpa kind of moment too late i mean they, they they've turned around and have started work with conservationists after that but Pretty, pretty extreme place to go before you'll listen, you know, to the future. Yeah, that's wild. I used to swim at the cod. Yeah. Did you really? Yeah, I used to swim at the cod. I grew up in really? Connecticut. You did? Yeah. Crazy. Stanford, Connecticut. Like? And, uh, oh, what was that? Growing up there? Well, swimming with cod, like they would oh, come up to you? Well, no, I, I was swimming, you know, over at Cape Cod, you know. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, not swimming actually with them, but, you know, I was I was swimming at uh, Cape Cod, you know, as a kid. I would go summer camp, you yeah, know, we would yeah. go there. Yeah, St. Luke's camp, yeah. I mean, that, like, even back then, the, you know, there was just there was just so many, like, giant schools of cod. Now, you know. Yeah. Man, it's just like... It's it's just of, like it's to me it's all around us. So I go to the grocery store, I see it, you know, like 
There's, you know, there's codfish, but they're not cod. They're just some white fish. They won't tell you what kind of fish they are now. Yeah. That's not the same. It's maybe, the maybe, same. maybe the aliens are eating all the fish. Maybe that's what's happening. Maybe the aliens are just chowing down on the when fish. When I was a kid, I was eating the fish in fairly <laughs> large volumes. <laughs> the aliens can grow their own fish. They don't need us. They have the technology. They're from the future. No, man, it's, uh, it's, uh, you know, I mean, we're all in this kind of position, like, for people who are ready to listen to the future, the future's calling. If you, if you put your ear out there and you, you listen to that call, there's so many, there's just this, all these opportunities open to you. That's why, that's the main reason I keep coming back to it, because it's just, it's just a, it's an exciting way to make your life really sparkle. You know, that's, that's just a bit for me. I mean, I, I have a lot of anxieties about the future with the environment and so forth, but Overall, I'm having a great time. You know, um, it's it's it works really great for me. Awesome. One last solid question I have for you, Ron. It's been awesome so far talking to you. Pretty amazing. You you know the public speaking stuff you've been taking or you took years ago or whatever. Ah, yeah, it's definitely paid off. You, Thank you, you you know how to do it. You've got it. You know how to hold Easy a stage. Yes, you got it. Um, but to my question, when we talk about you know, there's this thing like, what's your idea? Or, or your opinion about, you know, uh, biology meets machinery. What do you think of future of that's oh. going to go? Well, you know, I mean, tech and biotech will be two of the great pillars of civilization. You know, uh, taking information from biology, processing it and putting it back into put it back into the world is, you know, data's data's not dead by any means. Uh, I think anybody who's doing anything needs to deal with data. And there are very few people who understand both sides. That's a great opportunity for someone who's listening to sort of really be good with both. Because, you know, um, you know, in, in machine learning, you get something like, a, you know, like Facebook data, like all the messages people send and the connections they have. Uh, that, that's typically what machine learning people work on. Um, it's really, it's kind of, I don't know, it's kind of synthetic in a way. It, biology is like I say, it's from the alien spaceship. Signals from the alien spaceship. Like nobody really knows what's in biologic, what is in biological data, and like that's just learning to make that, learn how to decode that and use that information. To me, as an explorer and someone who likes adventuring, like I just, I just find that terribly irresistible. You know what I mean? Like, why would I mess with the? Like who who plays what on Spotify? If as a data scientist, man, I wanna I wanna see the electrical signals from the brain, and understand whether or not someone is, uh, you know, someone's got a lot of mental stress or anxiety. Like that that's like a that's like what a way to spend your day. Yeah, I mean, I was talking to you know literally yesterday, um, an investor Tim Hendricks came by uh, ex Tesla, mm-hmm. um, and he you know we were talking and we, we kind of were getting into the conversation of genetics, and some of the things I was questioning on and we were having this conversation about was you know how how much do how much do we know of genetics and its memory, right? It's it's its ability to retain memory um, from generations. Right. Like how how extent do we understand that? Like, like can can, you know, can uh, DNA to a certain point, you know, have like uh, extended memory from, uh, you know, uh, extended relatives in the past, like some behaviors or thoughts or like some, how some far things, can that go? I don't know about conscious thoughts, but, you know, it's um, well, what about like patterns? Like, for example, you if, well, if, if you like if certain things were like 
you know, uh, in the DNA. Like once you have kids, you start realizing there is a lot that gets passed on. Like the way my daughter talks is a lot like her mother. Uh, the way my kids eat is a lot like me. You know, I mean, all these little mannerisms, you can see, hey, that's genetic after all, you know. But there's 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 three ways that information gets passed from one generation to the next. There's the DNA, and it does a lot of mysterious things, and it probably encodes a lot of these mannerisms. But there's also this thing called um, epigenetics, where the DNA gets labeled with all these little molecules called methyl groups and acetates. And so basically they're, they're like hanging ornaments on the tree. They can be added and removed. So they're temporary memory, but they can be multi-generational. So, uh, so um, children, if, if someone, if, if someone has children during a famine and they're not eating very much, the children will actually carry the marker of that famine and they'll behave differently. They'll metabolize food differently. Right. So that's, you know, totally fascinating. And there's probably thousands and thousands of things that get passed on like that. Uh, so basically it's like adding a sticky memo to the DNA and then later on it can get removed and the next generation won't have it at all. Right. Cause it's almost like cookies almost in a way where we're doing for computers. It's like having this temporary memory. It is like a cookie, it's but like a cookie. We're pushing that on to future generations randomly. It was like recombin genetic recombination where it kicks into another. A, it's almost like sticking a note onto the DNA because the DNA doesn't get like taken apart at all. It just sort of like just they just boop, add this little thing to it. Um, and then the third way is that some of the cells actually contain information, too, when they make the new cells. But that's that that stuff is gone. That won't get passed on the next generation. At all. It's it's it will affect the, the next infant. But then um, it gets used up. It, it it sort of dissipates after that. So there's all these different. Those are three different ways that information gets passed. Yeah, because on. you know you'll take those. You know you have those genetic websites like Twenty Three and Me. You know Ancestry.com, and they'll try to give you these percentages, and it's just like, you know, you, you're like, how fucking accurate are these things? Because they, they they can't sometimes be. Sometimes they're pretty accurate. Sometimes uh. they're just taking a stab in the dark. Yeah, I mean. Uh, it's kind of funny to look at some of those. You know, some of them aren't right, but some things like where your parents came from on Earth and all those kind of things, they can be startlingly, startlingly accurate. Um, uh, yeah, we're we're in the early days with genes and genomes. Like, we can't do like the movie Gattaca. We can't just like look at the DNA and make a picture of you. But uh, we will get better. I mean, we're just getting started now. Right. So you're saying like the percentages parts are not probably accurate more. Some of, of them are very accurate, okay. but a lot of them are not. It's really kind of like hit and miss, I think. Really? Yeah. What I causes mean, like, it to do that? Sample uh, amounts or? Sample amount. I mean, there's, um, there are so many traits that people have, like the tendency to get cancer or whether you like the taste of cilantro or not. All, some of them are really well studied. Like the cilantro thing. Neanderthal. So, <laughs> people know exactly. Yeah, Neanderthal. People can identify your parentage. If there's a little Neanderthal, they can find it right away. But what do those genes do? They usually they usually don't have a, such a strong idea about that. So some of the things like the, the things that recommend the diet, I think that they're probably still not very, from the DNA, still probably not very accurate. But, you know, I mean, you know, like where my parents came from, I, you know, that's going to be pretty accurate. And so 
So there's this mixture of really well studied things are really well understood and a bunch of stuff that's like, maybe this, maybe this happens. Like I have a lot of, I have a high red blood cell count. I have a lot of red blood cells in my blood. Um, and I got this test and they said, well, there's this thing called hyperchromatism, which is basically a lot of blood, a lot of red blood cells. And so there's a gene for that. And they tested it and says, you don't have that hyperchromatic gene, right? But I have very high red blood cell count. I have hyperchromaticism, right? But I don't have it because that's a European gene that European people have and it creates hyper, you know, hyperchromia for them. Like it creates a, and so uh, that's just an inaccurate, you know, I'm not, but I am, you know, like that's a kind of typical result where, hey, that's a gene that's very prominent in, in European people and that's not irrelevant to me. Wow. So it means basically you have, what do you have a lower uh, white cell, there's white some, cell blood? No, I just have, a, I, I just have, I'm pretty regular, except I have, I don't know, 30, 40% more red blood cells than most people do. I have a really high red blood cell count. Yeah. My doctor told me, she's like, you know, it's, she was thinking something similar to you. Like, but she was like, your, your white blood cells are always like lower randomly. Oh, interesting. And she said, it's like, you know, she first, she thought it was like a problem. She was like, you know what? I think it's just like genetically you. Yep. And, you know, but she was always checking. She was like, oh, my God, what is this going? So, yeah, so they have these ranges of what's normal and you fall outside that range. It doesn't mean that you're just you're not you're have a problem. Right. We just don't know that much about it. And like a lot of the studies were done on Europeans. Uh, if you happen not to be European or you happen to be mixed, your biology might be very poorly understood. And, you know, thank God we're in the system now, you know, but like I just I mean, we're still suffering from that ignorance at that time when everybody just did studies on college students they're mostly white kids mm. you know that's just changing now so it depends on basically the sample amount of what you use as a How baseline did they study? Did so they historical study data broadly mm -hmm. sometimes a gene happens to be regionally contained right like i've had some i've had some mutations show up and people say like oh that you get the report back it's like this is very common among ashkenazi jews well that's just a coincidence right Turns out Japanese people have that too sometimes, uh, you know, but you know, some, some of these genes are confined to just certain populations. Some of the mutations are found all across the earth. And often we haven't checked what, which of those two cases is, is true for a certain genetic test. And so we might be taking a check, a test that's totally biased against us and will never do us any good because we're from the wrong region of people. Um, we, or we may be, uh, just the test may be just as valid for us as for someone from Lithuania. That might happen too. Just and and people often just don't know which of those two is the case when they do a study. Yeah, because it's like you know, like indigenous you know genes of the United States, you know, or the Americas in general shows up as you know the same as Asia. So it's like mm -hmm. you know, it's like is there just a variance? A different. There is a little bit, but not a lot. Not a lot. You're right. And, you know, it also depends, like, you know, some of the countries just have their act together. Like the UK has had nationalized medicine for a long time. They have blood samples and health records for people over the past hundred years or maybe something 70-ish, 80-ish years, right? They have, they've been recording all their people's genomes there and everybody's okay with it because it's a public health service. We're going to just know a lot more about people from the UK than from other countries, and that's just too bad for everybody else. But, you know, other governments are just not doing that kind of work. That's 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 uh, that's going to that's going to land 
as a real benefit to people who live in the UK and the citizens thereof. Other people just chose not to invest that way. So, I mean, what can they do about that? You know, like uh, not everybody's going to benefit from, you know, from, you know, those decisions. It's too bad. We should all do it. Wow. Yeah, it's just really deep when you start thinking about these genetic traits and then how, you know, they're, you know, like I know, like even uh, native genes in, in the Americas is not as there's not that many samples because a of huge difference. Yeah. Yeah. Native genes. Yeah. They in the United know, States, but Mexico, it's a lot. That's right. People just don't do the studies and, you know, where the studies are depend on the kind of studies. And it makes a big difference. Like in the United States, all of us are so mixed. But a lot of us are from particular, right, particular lines, right? And so we've got this mixture of a lot of pure breeds that are really separate. And then we got all these mutts in here, sort of like mixtures of I'm this. definitely type. a mutt. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, you know, so they, they just sort of like make decisions about drugs here, pharmaceuticals. They make those decisions based on the best guess. Like, and, but, you know, uh, if there's a drug that's very popular in Japan, they have to retest everything here. Because in Japan is one of the most genetically homogeneous, homogeneous populations. Yeah. And so a lot of the Japanese simply, there's a lot of genes in the United States that Japanese people simply don't have. And that, that can cause the drug to be ineffective. It can make the, it can make the drug dangerous in some cases. So uh, it's kind of funny how that works. Like you can test the bejesus out of a drug in Asia and you still have to retest it completely here. And so that's how much of a difference it can make. Sometimes a little big difference, sometimes a little one. one of those. Yeah, that's why I always yeah. sit there and tell people, I'm like, you know, you shouldn't go off and tell, like, you know, like America tries to, uh, they try to uh, pigeonhole or identify people or put them in, 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 they try to contain them in one group, yeah. no matter what they are. And it's like, you can't do that to scale because literally when you go to the doctor, and you come up with this genetic thing and it's just like, well, hey, you have this. And it's like, well, this only belongs to this people. And but you're like checking this. That's right. It's like, are you lying? <laughs> it just turns out the truth is so complicated. I can't even. I don't have yeah, because people does everyone want to hear this. Yeah. No, but let's face it. Most people want to hear all that stuff. Yeah. People like walk around, like label themselves as lies. It's like. This is not really who you are, but this is who you are. And it's like, yeah. but but society doesn't want to tell you. It's oh, all because no. we over-summarize ourselves. Right. right, you want to fit in with this group, so I think you're this Obama. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Well, you know, I hope people will, you know, I hope it's it's really great to dig in deep and sort of like see the real story. It's always, it's, to me, it's always entertaining. Right. I don't know. I, like I mean, it's, it's all about social constructs. And then it also goes back to more about colonialism and, and those ideals. So I think those mm -hmm. things have like culturally, you know, of, you know, came about a lot of people in the United States. So it's, it's still they battle it every day. Like that's that is like the, to me, I feel like that's one of the biggest sicknesses in the United States is this 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 reasoning or need to uh, identify and label consistently um, and intricately like it's a, it, it's it's a little bit too far off. Like there's a difference of being able to say, "Hey, yeah, my mom comes from here. I have a family that comes from all these different places." Versus, but no, 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 I need to know like one thing. Like this mm. is too complicated complicated is. for me. I need it to is. identify you with one thing. I think it's about also about like we don't really know how. I think most of us don't really know how to really be in touch with somebody, you know? So we use these labels as a substitute for that. But really, you know, if you learn someone's real story and where they're coming from, that's, that's what everybody wants. It's a lot of work.
Yeah, it is. Too bad. Well, Ron, it's been great having you on the podcast. It's been an amazing conversation. Again, and I'm going to tell you again, your public speaking, yeah, it's definitely work, man. You, you're really good at that. Uh, um, you know, is there anything that you want to say, you know, and leave to anyone who's an entrepreneur or anyone who wants to get their uh, their their, uh, their their foot in the door with biology and you I'm know, like, I'm, I'm, like you, you know, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm super happy to talk to anybody. Um, I have a website, iaccelerate.tech, and there's a form to contact me if anybody wants to reach out. I'd love to talk to you about your idea and see if there's a way I could help you. Awesome. You know, I should do probably a podcast one time with some people and just have them have their idea and we talk about it and then get the investors. Yeah, that'd set. be a good podcast, like five really amazing ideas. Like yeah. That's a good title. Yeah, yeah. I just thought of it because you were just here and I was like, hey, yeah, wait, there you go. might be fun. Might be I'd fun. I love yeah. it. Yeah. But thank you again, Ron. It's been amazing to have you here. Um, yeah, definitely want to you know catch up with you and bring you on again. Great conversation. Really great person. Uh, yeah, thank you. Thanks. Totally enjoyed it. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, the Kids in the Room podcast. The Kids in the Room podcast. That's right. That's right. Brought to you by Moo Faces TV. Let's, Let's go. go.